This is Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. Stanford 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Radio Atenea Americana. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Bienvenidos. Atenea Americana. Welcome. Bienvenidos. From Stanford to the world. And today we have a conversation with Dr. Carlos Greg Duke. He is a computer scientist and a data scientist at Facebook Core Data System Team, who in his free time got together with some friends to research the occurrence of deep thoughts documented during the history of humankind. He was inspired by the work of Dr. Julian Jaynes and his book The Origin of Consciousness in the Breakthrough of the Bicameral Mind. They started to build a tool that analyzed all literature written in history and assigned levels of introspection in these words. This gave them a graphic to understand the rise of human introspection during history. So our idea was to use modern computational linguistic methods to kind of quantify how introspective a piece of text is. And then using this measurement, go back and look at these old texts and measure how introspective they are. For this conversation today, my co-host, Daniel Caselles, the entrepreneurship columnist of Atenea Americana. How hard has been to collect that information and how many books you had to read. And I leave you with introspection, a quantitative philology. Hope you have fun. And here we are again in Atenea Americana. Today, our guest, he is part of Facebook crew, Carlos Greg Duke. He is uh, a computer scientist with some very wide research in uh, semiotic and in the way how machines talk. And he's going to talk a little bit about, uh, well, all, all the learnings that he has had for a long time. But more important today, we have with us our columnist uh, for tech and entrepreneurship, uh, Daniel Caselles, who is Thank here. Thank It's a pleasure, as usual. <laughs> so I'm um, very welcome, Carlos. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Yes, you know what? This interview mm -hmm. came up after seeing some post of my friend, mm -hmm. which is actually my friend in Facebook also. Yes, from Facebook. In from in really? Facebook and really <laughs> inside Facebook. It's a higher level of friendship, yes. <laughs> of <Definitely>. course. <laughs> and... He was in San Francisco delivering a talk, mm -hmm. something similar to a TED Talk, mm -hmm. in no more than five minutes. 
which is a very, very challenging situation. And I wanted to know more about what that uh, talk was about. And yeah, yeah. so this is a Ignite format of talks. This was Ignite San Francisco, and it's mm -hmm. a crazy format where you have five minutes, 20 PowerPoint slides, 15 seconds for each slide, and the slides just automatically move wow. forward. So. Wow. Basically, <laughs> if you, you get lost, behind, uh, no if idea. you haven't finished describing something, the slide keeps moving, and it was kind of nerve-wracking. And on top of that, you have a, a present audience there, right? right yes, there. this was in a Brava theater, so there were like more than 300 people sitting in a theater with theater lighting, and you're just standing there. Awesome. With the automatically <laughs> moving slides. So you, you really need to time it like like a music show, like you know where the bass is coming, whatever in the orchestra, because the computer is not going to stop for you. Yes, pretty much. So it took me way more work than I expected. But uh, um, yes, I imagine the, the number of rehearsals before the during the, the, the talk and yeah, I did way less than you're expected to, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> but it ended up working. It was it's very hard also to design your presentation. You choose which twenty slides. Each 15 seconds, you, you're going to include. Yes, can you share with us what that presentation was about? Yeah, so it was about introspection. This notion—it's deep. So let's get deep here. <laughs> okay, thank you for coming. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, so it's this notion that you know uh, about self-reflection and your mind and your thoughts and your emotions. And um, basically, I was arguing first that this is not a trivial. Uh, notion, a trivial idea, and that in fact people have talked about this period in the in the history of humanity. Mostly they talk about these thousand years before the Christian era uh, that Jasper's uh, philosopher calls the axial age, mm -hmm. where a lot of philosophies and religions were born. And this idea that in that period of time, this notion of introspection and the way people thought about their, themselves and their place in the world really evolved and changed. Like okay. a lot of things, what people thought before were just, people thought of themselves as just actors driven by the gods. Uh, even people thought of their own movements and actions as be, being directly driven by a god um, or God's voice telling them what to do mm -hmm. into something more introspective where you have your own you know, self, notion of self and your own thoughts and your own ideas. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that this was a, a bunch of people and we're heavily based on this uh, Philosopher, uh, psychologist and philosopher called Julian James, who wrote this book called The Origins of Consciousness in the Bicameral, and the Bicameral Mind, mm -hmm. where he actually hypo hypothesizes and thinks that in this period of time, uh, there were changes in the brain, even in the brain structure, that led to people who, before this uh, change, they thought of what we would now call introspection of like hallucinations or, you know, God's voice is speaking to them. Ah, okay, right. And... and In order to demonstrate and to prove that hypothesis, what do you do? So Julian James studies this in the written text, which is what we have available now <coughs> from that era. So, but he did, does this very qualitatively. He just read a bunch of books from from Greece and from Rome. Uh, not only him, but a bunch of other people too. Mm -hmm. And he sees this change, this drift in the he way people talk about. He introspectively makes a, <laughs> a new Yes, he introspects about these books and he sees <laughs> that. <laughs> how the, take some conclusions. Yeah, how these older books, uh, the way they talk about the hero driven by the gods uh, and versus the new books. Mm -hmm. and, so, and he created some kind of personal measurement about introspection? No, this is very qualitative in his case. It's just, oh, okay. you know, <clears throat> look at this text. I read this text. I 
I observe these examples and did, mm -hmm. and kind of narrates what the story is about oh, okay, okay. and what importance the gods have versus Without the hero. But, Without any numbers, no. But, but okay. then you guys came with the science behind and found a way to measure it. Yes, so our idea was to use modern computational linguistic methods mm -hmm. to kind of quantify how introspective a piece of text is. Mm -hmm. And then using this measurement, go back and look at these old texts and measure how introspective they are and see if Jane's uh, hypothesis, not about the structure of the brain, but at least his observations about how this changes in the written text, if we can verify it qualitatively. You, you said, uh, sorry, you, you said or mentioned something about we What do you mean with we? You we, are yes, me and a bunch of, basically a bunch of friends from Argentina. <laughs> ah, okay, okay, great. We, we are all scientists. We're all spread around the world, but we're good friends from the university back there. Mm -hmm. And we always wanted to work together. We're all, we're all interested in these kind of notions and ideas about uh, the relationship between text and written text and like mental states <coughs> and emotions. Mm -hmm. And okay. so one of them was a big fan of Julian James and in particular of this book. So he came up kind of with the idea of <clears throat> how about we do this? And we were all doing different things uh, at that time, but we kind of found, well, found we, the time to, to, to work together on this. It was in your free time. You, you yes, say pretty that? much. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yes. Otherwise, my employers will come and, and, and yeah. sue me. <laughs> 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 okay. It was By absolutely way, outside of my... Uh, uh, okay. Yes. By the way, you're fired. So, okay. so, so you, you came and make... Uh, a table, some way to measure words and uh, the relationship between words. Yes. So there are some techniques. Okay. Basically, right now, there's um, computers are very bad at interpreting text, right? Mm -hmm. So they can do, you know, spelling correction. They can even under do some grammatical correction. But they don't really understand what the text means. Um, I say they don't really, but there are techniques that try to extract some semantic notion, some idea of meaning, of what different words mean. <clears throat> there are a bunch of methods that I probably won't describe in detail, but the idea is to provide a way of measuring how semantically similar two words are. Mm -hmm. so, meaning, okay. so meaning here, you know, the meaning of a word uh, is some kind of a bunch of numbers in some kind okay. of space that is not really interpretable. I mean, you can't really interpret what these numbers mean. But you can take, uh, you can measure the distance between two words given these lists of numbers, which is not the literal distance in the text. No, no, it's, it's it, it, the idea is that it represents somehow this semantic distance, this distance in meaning. how strongly they are yes. related. Mm -hmm. So if oh. you look, if you take the word dog, the word dog is going to be probably closer to cats or other animals or dog words or and dog parts. Uh, than it is to cars or to mountains or to introspection. Or to dark matter or to sadness. Or yes. To, uh -huh. mm -hmm. Te quiero para siempre 
And today, a conversation with Dr. Carlos Greg Duke about introspection, a quantitative philology, with our co-host, Danielle Casello. Tell us a little bit more about how many books. Uh, what I wanted to, to share is just the, the notion of how hard has been to 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 collect that information and how many books you had to read. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a lot of the work that Julian Jaynes and other philosophers have been doing like back in the 70s was basically just them reading, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and exactly. Yes, being able to cover, cover the books that they could <laughs> yeah. cover them and maybe a couple students could just <laughs> read yeah. themselves. Uh, but now, you know, with the internet and we have a bunch of archives, we have... In particular, we use the Internet Classics Archive for the Greek and Roman books. And also we study the Old and the New Testaments and a bunch of Christian books, early Christian books. So these books are all available online. Um, we did use English translations of them. Again, these are all available. Okay. And so we could read thousands of books. For Greece and Rome, we didn't do that many. Maybe you know a person, uh, a scholar in a couple of years could read them. Mm -hmm. But in particular, we also analyzed the 20th century where we used, uh, thanks to a project that Google has called Google Engrams, we were able to basically read all the books published in the 20th century, right. which are definitely more than any human could wow. read. Wow, we are talking about yeah. millions of millions books, right? Yeah, I wish I had the number, I don't remember, but it's like okay. millions of books or and hundreds of thousands of books. Definitely more than anyone could read. It's going to take more than the weekend. Yes. Oh, okay. Ah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and did you have anything on the middle between a thousand years before Christ and... No, we didn't really know. study those periods. I mean, we could have. So the Google Engrams, this project goes back to like uh, the 1500s. Okay. Uh, okay. But, you know, you have... It's yeah. a little bit sparse. So far you have available. Years, uh, yeah. And yes, then you exactly. have the Bible. And then all we have the, the, the... Yes, the Old and the New Testament. And then a bunch of Greek texts from all the, you know, Greek philosophers and Homer. In particular... Uh, Julian James was very interested in the Iliad and the Odyssey, these two Homeric tales. They talk about, I mean, the same person wrote them in his lifetime, but they talk about sagas that happen very separate in time. And he noticed this clear difference. And if we actually went back to these texts, and you can notice that in the Iliad, everything is about the gods. You know, humans are just, you know, part of this chess game among the gods. <laughs> they are driven by the gods. They have no... Uh, agency, no feelings, no thoughts. And then in the Odyssey, suddenly it's all inside the heroes. Mm -hmm. And I, I found a bunch of quotes that are very, very telling of this difference. Mm -hmm. And what we, we, we showed is that we, using this method, we could reproduce this result from the Iliad and the Odyssey, this observation of Julian James. We can, we can verify it quantitatively using these methods. And then we can extend and apply these methods to like all this big list of books. Well, and the, the final conclusion is basically that you could prove that hypothesis, that Jane? Yes, not, not the part about the brain, but okay. at least we could confirm this idea that there is an evolution in how introspective texts are. Uh, that it's not just uh, some random <coughs> uniform distribution. Okay, and, and you mentioned something regarding the, the one word one and one word two. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So when we when we first we verified that this happens in Greece, that in the Greek text there is mm -hmm. this huge 
increase in the, the level of introspection in the books as the Greek society evolves. Then the Greek society basically collapses and it's the rise of Rome. Mm -hmm. And what we saw is that in Rome, apparently they forgot everything they had learned from the Greeks. <laughs> introspection falls down to the early levels of Greek Maybe society. Maybe they, they wanted to. to yes, it was like, let's, you know, yeah. What, what is this about thinking and feeling? <laughs> it, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't. But then it follows the same type of evolution. It basically, throughout the the evolution and development of Roman society, you observe the same trend and, how, and this increase in introspection in, in text. Mm -hmm. So that gave us the idea that there is not this, you know, just straight line that introspection just increases with time, like maybe Julian James at some point hypothesized, but it, that there's some correlation with actually social upheaval, you know, what's going on in these societies, societies that are falling or societies that are uh, developing. So that took us to the 20th century, and we basically, you know, applied this method. It's a machine computing the introspection every year. It doesn't know anything about 20th century history. And we see that introspection starts growing from 1900, 1901, and there are two big dips. Suddenly, introspection seems to drop dramatically, and this happens exactly at the years of the First World War and the Second World War. Wow. Um, so, again, this idea that evolution of introspection is not just always monotonically growing, but that there is some relationship with social upheaval and, you know, what societies want to talk about at different points in time. And w what about the states in the afterwards? Does it grow exponentially and then it stays steady for a yes, while? Yes, after the after the Second World War, um, in the post-war, in particular the 60s and the 70s, the growth is huge. I mean, and... It kind of matches what we think of as the 60s and what people probably were writing about. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's a huge growth that keeps going on until these days. Yeah, because I can imagine that during the wars, there is that part of our survival, a primal thing that you just don't have time to think that deep. But then after the aftermath, you have the PSD, you have the, the traumas of the war. So you maybe get really deeper after you are safe in your house somewhere. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think it would be really interesting to actually <clears throat> go a little bit deeper in what these texts are about and what what happened there. We didn't quite get to do that, mm -hmm. but uh, but definitely, I think it's not just what people, the way people think or feel, but what people choose to write, right? And what yeah. people and what people choose to write, or, what chooses what others choose to publish. And exactly, I guess that we have an, an additional challenge there, which is sometimes people wanted to to write down something about consciousness or uh, some spiritual text or something like that but you know what when when you are under the war you you are competing with all the, the published uh, books around there and suddenly i i it's just a guessing right but yes yeah it, it, i i tend to think that you don't have space to to talk about other than yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, we we I think, think we should look deeper. But I imagine that you know, the literary world in Europe was kind of affected by this. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there there was not room to yeah. to talk about spiritual Book, things or and bookstores or were art. probably not super popular. No, no, yeah. no. You, <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> yes, and and um, tell me a little bit more about. Let's imagine just in order to change a little bit the topic. If we, instead of using introspection, 
what else, for instance? Well, so <clears throat> one one thing that these methods provide is kind of uh, a way for you to tell what the text in general is about. No, give you exactly. some idea of topic. There are, there's a whole development of understanding what's the topic of this piece of text. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of these methods have been validated, for example, with newspaper articles where, mm -hmm. you know, this, this, this article was published in the politics section or in the economic section or in the sports section. Mm -hmm. And these methods uh -huh. can actually tell you that from the text without knowing where you got it from. They will classify them into these topics. Are they so accurate? To they, are, they, they tend to be very accurate. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, so the... So now at least we have an idea of what the text is about, what you know, uh, what's the topic, what are, what is the general, some idea about emotions, you know, what's the general emotional tone of this text, um, and this provides you know a much. It doesn't really really understand everything that's going on there, but at least it's a new level of being able to label a piece of text that you know this is a really uh -huh. deep, profound, and sad sports article. Oh yes, and, and you know what? I, I'm just thinking aloud, right? But it is, it could be great to have this service in in the library. You know, oh, it's like okay. A, okay, I feel like reading something with this mood or or with about yeah. something, and and because nowadays it's like a, or maybe in the past, mm -hmm. it, it was based on the. The, the library man. The librarian, the, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. It's yeah. like, oh, yes, I read that book and it's related to the it other one. Topic, yeah. yeah, give me some really sad love stories or yeah. some really cheerful yes, exactly. some, yeah. vampire something like that. books. Yes. Something about kids <laughs> in a post-war area and then we'll give it yep. to you. Yes, yeah, so, but whatever. you know what is... Uh, it's even more than that. It's, it's like a, not only with, with a set of words, it's... It's about something, or or you could create. Uh, I'm thinking that maybe a you feeling. could create yes a mixture between okay, your feeling, feeling and the topic, yeah. oh. which is stronger than just the topic. Yeah. Right? Yes, absolutely. And I don't know if anything, any anything or any service actually doing that, but I think we're very close to. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I think that's actually kind of possible. Yes, we will end up with another en endeavor with after that. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> This is Atenea Americana, and I am your host, Isabel Jubes. You may find this and all my shows at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. This is a bilingual cultural show, bringing you a window to the Latin and Hispanic universe. Every week, for two hours, one in English and one in Spanish, from Stanford to the world. You can also be part of this, leaving me your comments, sharing your thoughts, and even more at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. I invite you to be part of this. And today, a conversation with Dr. Carlos Brecht-Duke about introspection, a quantitative philology, with our co-host, Danielle Caselles. You, you were saying that already the computer is not just can analyze all this in a, in a way that they can say if it's an, a very deep thought or it's just a description of a white paper or a scientific book, but they can actually write somehow some news that we are actually reading and we don't know, that like sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah they're very, at least very simple and like kind of formulaic mm -hmm. type of text. I know that the, I think mm -hmm. the Associated Press, I don't want, another person to sue me but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they already produce like little written articles about like 
a basketball game, mm -hmm. and these are like machine produced, and it's very hard to distinguish them from some human produced text. Mm -hmm. There have been some very mm -hmm. examples of automatic uh, academic scientific papers sent to like mm -hmm. usually low quality conferences and being <laughs> accepted. Uh, wow! But they it talks really bad about, about, that about the conference. Yes, it's usually yeah, a kind of shaming that. way of yeah. shaming yes. these conferences. But you read those. Maybe a human will tell that there's something weird about the, those pieces of text, but they're not nonsense. They're definitely not nonsense. Some sort of wow. Marcel Duchamp of science. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. And um, then you say that they haven't even given it a try to to poetry and uh, computers writing. Actually, something sensitive. Yeah, I think we started we started playing around with with Daniel here and these ide crazy ideas about. Yes, exactly. Uh, we, we we were we actually came up with some idea about okay, you can customize the music that you are listening to, yeah. but it is something that your machine could create on the fly. Based on your taste, right? It's yeah. like okay, you are listening, for instance, some tango music, mm -hmm. but due to the fact that in your playlist you have a lot of heavy metal music, maybe you will get your personal and unique version of each song mm -hmm. doing this mix. mix. Both of them. Yes, mix by, made by the computer, right? Yeah, that, that yeah. It sounds creepy, scary, but, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I will know. send you a new music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, though, but yeah, as long as you can differentiate. Yes, but the, I mean. from from the the meaning detection yeah. perspective, I, I wonder how, for instance, you in your case, being a data scientist at Facebook, uh, can you work with this? You know, one thousand and forty hundred billion or or 1.4 yeah, billion, billion users yes users uh, it's amazing you know because you, you we are we all are posting every single day a micro text mm -hmm. and you you could detect a lot of things behind that right yes and right now um basically we know for a fact that even just limiting text to like your friends or the pages you like mm -hmm. the amount of text that you could potentially access and read is more than the time you have to read it every day. Yeah. So there is a big ranking problem, you know, big issue of what text to sh the algorithm chooses to show you first. And uh, okay. in yeah, your and that's, what, that's yes, what in your timeline. Facebook has been trying to do. Like, if you are not really interested about these people that you never see, then maybe we'll just right. show it every once in a while to see right. if you get interested. But it does that, no, yeah, really and it does this without today mm -hmm. really understanding the context the content of this text or the context or the you know mm. what this text okay. is about so i think that maybe that could be a next uh, frontier here yeah because maybe you don't you are not really, really interested about what this other person says every day but you know maybe he will talk about a topic that is really important it might depend on the topic okay. exactly okay mm -hmm. okay and and uh, how about the ethic limit the ethical limit uh, when we are talking about the power of this kind of tool behind Facebook, for instance, or that, I said face, Facebook just because you are working mm -hmm. there, but it, it applies perfectly to any other yeah, big company. Well, yeah, and all, almost all electronic platforms today. Um, so, yes, I think the this is a question that I think we're all trying to figure out. I mean, all, ah, okay. this is I think this is a very active 
topic in a lot of these companies and on the media. Um, just, you know, we know even though there are some things that we can do today, where we can already envision things that will be possible in maybe five years or ten years mm-hmm. or so. A level of understanding and a level of developing of development of artificial intelligence that will allow a lot of these things. Computers might perfectly understand what's your mood, what's the text, what this photo is about, what this video is about, and to what extent and in which ways that should be used and how that interacts with privacy, how that interacts with, uh, you know, just... Yes, and, and hopefully we, we can use that technology in favor of the end user, mm-hmm. such as let's imagine that I can filter uh, my timeline Mm-hmm. Saying okay, I don't want to see disgusting pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 this software can understand. Well, what do I mean about disgusting pictures? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? absolutely. What is yeah. disgusting for you and not for other people? Exactly. I have a very low which, barrier. You know, somehow we already do, like, you are liberal or conservative. Most of the news that you will see are kind of related to exactly. your political views. Already, exactly. so for you somehow, like you don't really know what is happening in that parallel universe. Yeah, this is this <laughs> is a very interesting because <laughs> it's something that we have actually studied, and uh, I don't uh-huh. know how much I could uh, talk about right now because there, there, there's a paper that's gonna that will soon be published about this. Uh-huh. So there was this idea of the filter bubble, right? The mm-hmm. idea that you end up in this bubble where you only see and hear news or things by people who think like you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We actually found that this is not really the case in places like Facebook. First, I like when people talk about these things about you know all these risks on the internet. I like to I think I like to ask you know compared to what I think sometimes people glorify the past in a sense, mm-hmm. like think that you know oh we were everyone everyone was reading all these varied sources no. of news <laughs> and going into coffee shops and debating politics with all sorts of people, <laughs> and that was really not yeah. what was happening. No, uh, no at all. And, and people in certain neighborhoods look in certain way and they are exactly. have the same level and, of and, economic and exactly. social. And, and there's this old notion in you know sociology about the, <laughs> these weak links. So people that <clears throat> are not really close to you, uh, you wouldn't interact with them very often, but you're friends on Facebook, for example. Yeah. And just looking back at like a year of news and a year of shares, uh, some of the researchers in, in, in my team I found that actually people are exposed through weak links yeah. to a variety of news and 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 th- I think they studied mostly especially news and shared mm-hmm. articles that they probably wouldn't be otherwise. Mm-hmm. Well, you say that the diversity of what you are uh, consuming now is might be greater than greater it's, it's than hard to compare to exactly what the past. Yeah, yes, exactly. But at least but pretty close. So there is there is a filter which is who are your friends? People uh, people are similar to their friends. Uh, in a sense, so there is some self-selection of who you choose to be friends with, and usually people choose, you know, most of your. If you're a liberal, most of your friends tend to be liberal, but at the same time, you have these weak links yeah. that they provide a level of diversity that mm-hmm. much higher than we thought of. Uh, but uh, you can always block. You could block. <laughs> yes, you can choose to do that. Yes. But, but then every once in a while, like for example, at least in Venezuela, and I think it's the same in Argentina, when you turn on your TV, most of the news you see are things that are happening around the world, And while here is the other way around. You turn on the TV and everything is about your neighborhood. Maybe you go a little bit about the Bay Area, then maybe something about the state. 
point of view. And I think Facebook now is looking the other way. Now they see some video of a guy dancing in Moscow. I don't know, or somebody, a baby. Oh, you're right. Yes, yes. You finally, you get access to something exactly, that you never. Exactly. Playing with a panda in some. Yeah, there's a huge variety in content. But even just talking about politics and this, I can speak about the U.S. in particular, with you know, mm -hmm. liberal and conservative. I can tell you that definitely your Facebook timeline, even the part that you are most likely to see, mm -hmm. is much more varied than if you just look watch Fox News or MSNBC <laughs> or some media. So we can actually compare the you know the political leanings of some of these articles, and mm -hmm. and we can know you know yeah, how definitely. how much variation there is in certain media, how much variation there is in your Facebook timeline, and we know that it's higher in your Facebook timeline. So mm -hmm. you know. You can go out and make the effort to read every, all the newspapers out there, but most people don't do that. Yeah. So this idea of the filter bubble is what I, what I say is really not true. It's like if you stay home and just it's watch Fox up. News for <laughs> eight hours, you're much more in a filter bubble than through Facebook. Well, that's been very introspective today. <laughs> very interesting. Exactly. Uh, thank you, really. Thank you for coming. And uh, we'll be posting a, a link in our website to the video with five minutes to talk about introspective. Great. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. No, thanks it for having me. It was a lot of fun. And this was Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Stanford 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. This is Radio Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para Radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Vuelve pronto. Atenea Americana. From Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon. Ciao. See you later.